Hey Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Council Part 2 of our last Jedi review. Uh, I am your host as always, Alex, and with me is my good buddy, brother in the force, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Oh, should I do it again? Hello, Dave. Yes, so <laughs> welcome to part two of our last Jedi review, guys. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, we are glad to have you. Hopefully, you are glad to be back with us. Uh, this is part two, so we are hoping that you've listened to part one. If you haven't listened to part one, press pause, go to SoundCloud, go to iTunes, download this, have a listen, and then come back with us again. Let's carry on. So, babe, we spent an hour and 40 odd minutes. Uh, 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, having a good chinwag uh, about The Last Jedi. Uh, quick question. Has your thoughts changed about how you felt about it since we last spoke? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was an expected answer, but nevertheless, I thought I'd ask the question nevertheless. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, guys, we obviously covered quite a lot of, of, of the story from in our previous podcast. We covered things like the, the story itself, the visual... Uh, creation of the film we, we both agreed that it looked visually stunning uh, we yeah. covered space battles the, the, the hand-to-hand fight scenes uh, and then we started to look at the story in a bit more detail and some of the, the issues that Dave and I had uh, with those particular story points uh, obviously looking at then the comedy of the movie not to mention we started to dig deeper uh, into the characters that are in the movie and we covered in great detail Luke and Leia um, so today we're going to continue with that. We've got a lot to get through today. We need to cover things like Captain Phasma, uh, Snoke, the Canto bite scenes, uh, story development and character developments of Ray and Kylo Ren. It's a huge podcast to get through, guys, but we're glad you're along for the ride. Any opening thoughts from yourself, Dave, before we jump into The Last Jedi? Um, I've, I've seen yet more... Um, activity on social media. Um, there's there's still the ongoing debate amongst the fans as to whether this film was good or not. Um, the the arguments to both for and against um, are both of both. Though, right? you, you get passionate fans on both sides of it, but nothing I've seen so far is is changing my opinion at the moment. What yeah, about you? Yeah, and I'd agree with that. And we've also had a couple of more episodes of Ryan Johnson Explains. Uh, just to we kind have. Add <laughs> some more fuel to the fire. Uh, so it's been an interesting... Yeah, Well, yeah, I think we've had two this week already, let alone in the past week since we spoke. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit of a up and down for The Last Jedi in particular. Uh, and I think, to your point, mate, I think this film is going to continue to divide fans um, from now and forever more, sadly. I, th- I think you might. One interesting thing I, I saw, and it was done as a Twitter poll, and... It was giving you a binary choice. What do you like about Star Wars, or what would you what do you like about Star Wars movies? And it was nostalgia and new ideas. And my response to that is, well, why can't you have both? I was going to say that. Why why are they mutually exclusive? That's a very black and white opinion to have on Star Wars. You know, it's it's a massive universe. It's full of every new Star Wars film brings something new, but it also yes. references something old yes and I think that's what makes Star Wars you know we have to remember this is 
a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but yes. all the technology and the science they have is much more futuristic than our than our own galaxy. So, you know, we it, it's embedded in the storyline to have a concept and a, and a mixture of both old and new. That's such a weird pole to have. It is, it is. And you, you look at... The, the, Rogue One, for me, is a fantastic example of nostalgia because you, you had everything that makes a good Star Wars movie, but it was done in a fresh way. It was done in a, in a, uh, in a new way of doing it, but it was one that still had the respect of where it came from. It still mm. sat within the, the Star Wars universe that was established. The nostalgia was there, but it was fresh. It was brand new, brand new characters that we'd never met before. A storyline that was completely new. Yes, it tied into the bigger story, but it was a brand new story. It was done in a, in a brand new way. You saw the shades of grey within the, re, uh, the the rebellion, the Rebel Alliance, mm. that you didn't really see in any of the other movies, that... that Sometimes they had to do bad to do good, and I just yeah. thought that's that's fresh ideas, brand new ideas for a film that had nostalgia. It's, yeah, it's why, funny. why can't they? Why can't? Why do they have to be binary? Yeah, it's funny you say that because when you when you think of some of the stuff that they explored in in Rogue One and jumping on the social media point that you made there around the kind of hatred the, the hatred you know, there is hate let's be honest um, mm. a lot of some of the fans are saying how Disney have ruined the franchise they've made it too Disney friendly take Rogue One as a prime example of that so isn't the case Gareth Edwards yes. created an absolutely brilliant film where he killed all of the characters uh, spoiler alert guys if you've not seen Rogue One they will die uh, <laughs> but all of the, the, the main protagonists uh, of the film, the main characters in it from both the Rebel Alliance and, you know, some of the characters from, from the Empire, they don't make it. You know, they weren't afraid to take chances. They weren't afraid to tell a story that's both fresh, to your point there, mate, and traditional in a Star Wars theme. And then they cop it off, top it off, sorry, with an absolutely butchering of the rebellion on, on by the hands of Darth Vader. To be honest, yes. I you know I'm sure if you, if that had been a George Lucas film, it would have probably it probably would have been done off camera, very similar to the way the Anakin Skywalker scene of him butchering the yes. the Padawans. Yes. Now, to be fair, nobody really wants to see a twenty something year old man kill a bunch of kids. Fair play, but nevertheless, the way that that scene in Rogue One was delivered, the intensity of both the scene itself and the close proximity between Vader and and, 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 and the Rebellion, um, it was brilliant. But again, it was so not Disney. You can't imagine them doing that. Um, no. Well, I, um, I, I had the good fortune to speak to Christopher Patrick Nolan. Now, for people who may not know who he is, he is the rebel trooper or the, the Alderaan trooper on Princess Leia's ship who hits the button, shouts launch, and gives the data plans of the Death Star to Princess Leia. Um, so that was his character in, in Rogue One. And I got a chance to chat to him, and he explained the what they were told, uh, the idea that that scene where they're in the dark corridor and you see Vader um, switch on his lightsaber and then basically 
as you said, butcher the soldiers. Mm. Um, the, the the director um, Gareth Edwards actually gave them um, tips on what he wanted out, how he wanted them to portray that. And basically, they were told, "Imagine you're in the water with Jaws," okay. and that was the fear and the tension and the the horror that he wanted to get across. <laughs> you're trapped. There's no way that you can survive this, and you've got an elemental force bearing down upon you. It, it's funny. That's a, that's an interesting kind of idea to have to make you feel scared. I mean. No offence to that advice, but if somebody said to me, you're stuck in a corridor with Darth Vader and he's coming at you with a lightsaber, that would probably scare the bejesus out of me more than a bloody <laughs> shark in the water. Um, but, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, so, yeah, I, and I think to kind of jump back on topic, as we, we strayed off as we normally do. Yes. <laughs> um, Within minutes. I, I would say it's a record, but it's probably not. Uh, I'm sure we've probably actually gone a bit worse topic a lot quicker than that in previous discussions, but it's it's an interesting thing having this divisive nature, and we did touch on it in the last podcast, um, and I think, again, it's definitely relevant to pick up again, because there are still comments of, uh, what was it, butthurt fanboys. Um, yes. I'm still seeing the phrase fanboy being thrown around as a derogatory term. Um, you know, fanboy, it, it, before this film, dare I say it, uh, was generally perceived as being a super fan of a franchise, not yes. somebody who's making excuses, being stuck in their mother's basement because they've got no friends. It's like it's gone from one extreme to the other, and I think it's incredibly harsh to now appropriate the word fanboy in a negative way because it still brings positive connotations for me. I am a fanboy. I call myself a fanboy. Mm. Yeah, I agree totally. You are a fanboy. I'm not a butthurt fanboy though, but that's besides the point. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so but, but to, okay, to bring to, yeah, to, to, to take this back towards topic, but also include the, the rogue one element and and what we're seeing on social media. You, you, the thing that has happened on in the the last Jedi for me is that. You get in all these comments saying, well, this was fresh, this was new, this was something different. And that's why the butthurt fanboys are not enjoying it. Um, but for me, it wasn't brand new, it wasn't fresh. They, they didn't, you you yourself, I might, we touched on this on the last one, you yourself had, had noticed that this is just a, a remake mm. of Empire and Return of the Jedi. There's nothing, there's not a lot, I'll say there's the odd bit, bit in it, which is new, but there's not a lot that is a brand new story hook within this movie mm. that we haven't already seen within the Star Wars universe. So, so he's managed to do a, a movie that was not in any way really cutting edge, brand new, something different, but also didn't have the nostalgia neither. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with that, mate. I really do. And, and it's funny because this this whole divisive nature and, and everything along the lines of this for, for this movie, it kind of got ele elevated for me today in particular because uh, yesterday, uh, The Last Jedi won an award for um, the most grown-up movie, I think it was called. Um, at an award ceremony in the US, uh, the, the name of the award ceremony slips my mind, but that they won an award for the most grown-up movie of the year. So Dave, we had a very quick conversation about this earlier on in our WhatsApp group, and to your point, more grown-up than Blade Runner, 
which was in which was again yeah. nominated for the movie questionable but where i'm going with this is that on social media i saw somebody post this uh to say that it had won somebody had made a comment saying this makes no sense how can a award be going to a movie that's this bad and at which point the amount of abuse this guy got uh, in this Facebook group was quite it was quite interesting because people were saying the reason why you don't get it it's a grown up movie because it has grown up themes and concepts that you don't understand. Oh yeah, and I'm thinking, hold on a minute. This guy thinks it's a bad movie for it being a bad movie. That was his opinion. It wasn't because he doesn't understand it. Yet you've all of a sudden got people assuming that he's dare I say it a bit stupid, a bit slow because he doesn't understand the concepts of the movie. It's it's horrible the way. The social media has become this faceless way to curse and, and make people feel little about themselves because they don't like something that is generally accepted as being, well, perceived amongst as part of the fan community anyway, as a good movie. Yet there's part of the yes. fan community that thinks it isn't very good at all. Um, but again, Facebook becoming this way to distribute hate uh, <laughs> um, uh, amongst other fans. You know, we are a fan community. We are here for the same reason. Not everyone's going to love everything about Star Wars. Let's be honest. There are parts of, you know, parts of the movie that I think, oh, come on, it could be a little bit better. And that goes throughout pretty much all of them, to be fair. Well, maybe not Empire, but that's besides the point. Um, So there are elements of it that we aren't always going to agree upon, but this movie is really taking it to a whole new level. It is. It is. And I, I still don't understand why. Well, okay, I don't know, is the movie suffering maybe, and I I think we discussed this on our our WhatsApp group, Um, just for for the listeners, the the Jedi Council, the the group of us who are all um, putting together what the Jedi Council is becoming, we share a lot of content, a lot of thoughts, and a, a lot of discussion online on WhatsApp. So so we will often refer to the WhatsApp group. So apologies for that. But within our WhatsApp group, um, the, the, there was the, the, the discussion around the, the, the movie itself. Well, obviously, I mean, we've, we've been discussing that for a long time now. Um, but the fact that the movie came out to critical acclaim with the, with the critics... Is it perhaps suffering from the Emperor's New Clothes syndrome? I know, I know, I, I, okay, I used I used a Frankenstein analogy earlier on, on the last podcast, and now I'm now going into the Emperor's New Clothes. But is it a case of because all the critics have said it's fantastic that the common man or woman then walks into the cinema and thinks, well, the critics think it's good, so it must be good. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a case of kind of positive influencing, as it were, uh, in that respect. A lot of people, and I've actually seen this on social media, to be honest with you. I've seen people change their mind on how they feel about this movie once they have a conversation with somebody who likes it differently to to the way they do. And I've openly seen that. And I'm thinking, we are in an environment where people are being easily swayed by someone having a better argument, regardless of what their own beliefs are, then what's the point in having a debate about anything? Yeah. Yeah. It's swayed by something. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of where, what this film has done to the fandom in that, in that respect. And, you know, this is also the week where uh, the solo trailer has dropped. 
Um, we're not going to go into detail about our thoughts on that in this particular podcast, but I think that the solo movie, very quickly, will be probably be just as divisive to a certain extent because it's it's a loved, it's an adored character uh, who has got many a fan, has had a brilliant actor, let's be honest about it, a brilliant actor playing him for for 40 years. That is right. Yes, it is right. Um, and, you know, he, he's a... It's going to be another film where I, I must admit I'm looking forward to it, um, and I think that how the fans react to that could well be the same as what it was with the Last Jedi. I'm hoping that because yeah, yeah, as you said, we've both seen the trailer. We're both on the whole. I, might, I, I know I am. I'm positive about it. It looks good, but I think, like you said, you, you're going to get people who like it, people who hate it. I think with The Last Jedi, people have disliked the film. The people that do dislike the film have disliked the film because there are major flaws in the writing and the directorship of the movie. Whereas what I think will happen with the solo movie, and I hope I'm wrong, is that it will be people who hate it, in part because it's Disney, in part because it's a, a, a much-loved character that's having a refresh, and people will dislike that just because it's changed. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um... Which I don't think is the case with um, The Last Jedi. Yeah, interesting point. And stay tuned, listeners, for the end of May when the uh, when the solo movie comes out. We'll do another two parter, I'm sure, uh, or not, depending on our, <laughs> on our feelings um, uh, of the particular movie. But I think that's a good segue into kind of li- continuing from the podcast of last time uh, to where we are today. Um, there are certain things that we didn't cover that we really want to jump into to, to go through. Uh, and I think if we're looking at characters how they're kind of portrayed in a movie and, and where they are and, and things like that. I, I'd like to bring up Snoke as our next talking point. Um, okay. We obviously looked at the different characters. Uh, we started off with Luke and Leia and, you know, we touched on Ad- Admiral by last time round. That Snoke has had a lot of comments about who he is or isn't or who we don't know who he is, let's be honest with you. Um, and the way he, again, spoiler territory, guys, uh, as you can tell, we've been going for 19 minutes or so, but we are going into spoiler territory, um, so be prepared. You know, Snoke literally being cut down in his prime, well, it might not be his prime, he looks pretty old, um, but he, he, the way that his character was built up in The Force Awakens, the way that he was kind of led to believe that he is this brilliant, force-wielding, I don't want to call him a monster, but I think he could quite well be. Um, you know, yeah. there were... There a, a, a Palpatine. He, he was a Palpatine. Well, yeah, there were theories he was more powerful in the dark side of the Force than Palpatine, um, which yeah. is an incredible thing to say when you think about it. We, we know the Emperor uh, from, dare I say it, all six movies, was an absolute nut job. Um, but he was... <laughs> 
he was incredibly powerful in Dark Side of the Force. And to say that this new character, Snoke, is... I think it was Andy Serkis, who obviously plays him, actually said it. He, he was believed to be even stronger in the Force than Palpatine. Yet, the way that the character was literally cut down, I'm thinking, personally, when, it, when he went, I thought, no way. Uh, he, he can't go like that. Uh, I, I don't know how you was feeling, Dave, when you first saw Snoke's demise in this film. Well, okay, as a positive, one of the few positives I could probably make to Ryan Johnson on this, that was a massive shock, and I think, mm. and I think that's why. Well, that's obviously why he did it. He did it because he wanted to make an impact, and he wanted to to create a talking point in the movie. And Ryan Johnson succeeded there. And Absolutely. It was a sh- yeah, it was a sh- shocking moment, and for me, that was a success for Ryan. Um, whilst also being a failure. <laughs> um, it's a bit like the first order in this whole movie, then, isn't it? Really, a partial success, but an also partial failure. All in all, yeah. And okay, so the, we, we are probably now straying into the into the realms of being butthurt fanboys for those members of our listenership who who want to term us that because <laughs> yes, we want to know more about this guy. Where did he come from? Why was he what he was? How had he got to where he was? And and one of the arguments I've heard online is, well, you, you forty years ago when the emperor was first unveiled, you didn't want to know all that then. You, you, there was none of this asking the questions of, of where he come from and, and why. But think about it. That was forty years ago. There wasn't all the expanded universe you have now. There wasn't forty years of backstory already in existence. Whereas we've got all that now. So to have a character that has seemingly come from nowhere to leading the First Order, which is the largest military power within the galaxy, with no background, is stupid. It is stupid. I'm sorry, Ryan Johnson, but that is stupid. And I completely agree, because when you think of the way he was set up by JJ in... um, in the in the Force Awakens, um, yeah. he was led to believe that he was this almighty um, Force user. He he had managed to turn Kylo Ren from being this devoted light side user from you know the the, the, the son of Leia and you know the the, the main uh, prodigy of Luke in in the Jedi Academy, as it were. You know, he has managed to persuade Kylo Ren to go to the bad side and join him. There must have been something to drive him to do that. Now, when we see the Emperor uh, and Palpatine manipulate Anakin, he does it because of his attachments. He does it because he wants to save Padme. um, And we know he has attachments to Ahsoka from the Clone Wars show. So therefore, there is that trigger that the Emperor... We'd see it even with his mother. And boom, there you go. That's the first thing. His mum... The, the rage when his mum yeah. dies. So there's that. There's the trigger points that he can jump on to manipulate him. We didn't get any of that. All we just heard was that Ryan, oh, sorry, Ryan Johnson. Well, he might have done. Um, that, <laughs> that Snoke has influenced Kylo Ren to join the bad side, as it were, 
Luke saw the, the anger in him and was about to kill him. And I'm like, I, 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 I want more than that. To your point, but, but there, was also an, there was also an implication in there that Snoke had managed to manipulate Luke. Yeah, exactly. So, so how powerful is this guy to manipulate a Jedi Master as well as the student? And, and when you think one of the other uh, displays of his power um, is the fact that he has actually connected Ray and Kylo Ren to become oh. so we're going to jump into detail uh, about this particular piece in, in a minute but while we're here Snoke created their I've, I've heard it being called false timing uh, on the internet which I think I think that's quite funny but he, he it was it was, for, it was closer to forced uh, forced sexting to be fair <laughs> yeah I, you can't escape Kylo Ren without his shirt off um, but no. it's oh. it, yeah, um, it's it, it the way that he managed to do that, if he has got the power to connect two individuals visually like that, uh, who are thousands and thousands of miles away, his use Millions. of... Well, light years, you know. The, the, the false power that he has is impressive. Now, we see that... Obviously yeah, I'm sorry, just, just to interrupt. He'd never actually met Ray, and yet he's managed to get into her head. He's only... He's only felt her through the force when yeah. he turns around to, to Kylo Ren in the Force Awakening and says um, there's been an awakening there's been an awakening have you felt it you know yeah. I thought by the way I know this isn't a Force cast this isn't a uh, Force cast this isn't a Force Awakens podcast but I love that part of the movie when he's leaning over Kylo Ren and tells him he's felt a disturb not a disturbance in the Force he's felt yeah. the Force Awakens have you felt I, I really really like that um, I actually thought yes. Snoke was going to become a really cool character and the way the film was progressing it was turning out that way um minus his gold robe that that no that sorry ryan johnson you got that completely wrong mate you don't put he he was wearing a bathrobe yeah it was like an old or older hugh hefner um you know and his victorian guards were his playboy girls um that's 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 a whole weird thing uh but nevertheless the character himself of Snoke was this amazing dark side user who was incredibly powerful, yet the manipulation that Kylo Ren clearly has of the Force to enable him to block out Snoke, yet Snoke has had the ability in the in the, well, the, the recent past, let's put it that way, to get into Kylo's mind and connect Ray's mind. Yeah. The fact that he couldn't feel what Kylo Ren was doing with the lightsaber is beyond me. Um, yeah, I agree. For I somebody agree totally. that has this all-controlling, all-knowledgeable, powerful way of manipulating the Force, for him not to be able to sense what he's doing with the lightsaber—I mean, come on! But, but yeah, well, that's it. I mean, we we know that from okay, from the prequels, from the original trilogy, from. Rebels from the Clone Troop, uh, the Clone Wars. We know that all the various different Jedi and Force users all have particular strengths in different areas, and we saw it in Force Awakens when you see Kylo Ren's ability to halt um, a blaster, a blaster shot in midair, yeah, and his his ability to to use the Force in a brand new way. And it looked like Snoke's ability 
is the power of of manipulation and domination of the mind. That's interesting. So yeah. So how could Ren, Ren, then confuse him? Yeah. Well, it, that's an interesting point. Uh, you know, the the one good thing, or well, one of the good things that have come out of the Force Awakens uh, and and the Last Jedi is the the, the display of new Force abilities. Uh, you know, we never saw the likes of Luke or Darth Vader hold a blaster bolt in midair. Now, I'm not saying Kylo Ren is more powerful than Darth Vader. Uh, before we, we saw Vader deflect a um, uh, blaster bolt. Yeah, in Empire with his back. Yeah, we saw him do that, but he never actually held a lightsaber no. bolt. So for Kylo Ren to do that, this new force ability is great. And then obviously we see Luke uh, project himself on crate. Um, again, another new force ability that I thought was I thought that was brilliant. Uh, you know, we touched on this in the last podcast, and that was the, one of the, the things that, from Luke's perspective, that we both thought was great. Um, mm. But then to have all these new brilliant force abilities and, and powers and whatnot, but to have the simplest one missing from a Snoke perspective for me, I just didn't get it. I can I can take or leave the backstory. If they want to stick that in a comic or a book, I'll read it. Um, you know, the Darth Plagueis book, uh, Plagueis book is is great. I know it's not canon anymore, but nevertheless, it's an absolutely amazing book, um, which digs into the detail of how. Plagueis uh, found uh, Palpatine and then obviously manipulated him and he became this dark side of the force uh, madman. Um, great book. And if they did something like that for Snoke or even put it into a comic, I would happily read it. But in the movie itself, the way that Snoke was so easily taken down is a letdown for me. Yes, it is. It is. And, and like I said, it's at odds with what we knew about his abilities um, and it was, again, it, it smacks of Ryan Johnson turning round to J.J. Abrams and saying, you know what, I'm not interested that you've done the first part of this story. I'm going to ignore the plot hooks you've left for me. I'm going to ignore the, the what has gone before. And I think for me that was a recurrent feel of the film. Going back to this idea of nostalgia, mm. going back to this idea of of taking the story in a new direction, but still having the respect of what had happened previously. That's what was missing in this film, and and the the way that Snoke was taken out smacks of that again for me. It was it was. You know what? I, I couldn't give a, uh, monkeys what you've done with this character, J.J. Abrams. I'm not interested in the way that you've built this character up. For me, it's just something else that I can kill and say that I've moved on and I've done something different. And that's what it felt like for me. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's another one of, dare I say it, Ryan, I don't know if he meant to do it like this, but it felt like it that Ryan Johnson kind of gave J.J. Abrams the, the, the two fingers and said, see you later, yes. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, although yeah. I, ironically I really hope that JJ does it back to him in number nine <laughs> you know just to yeah. see what happens uh, but nevertheless it does kind of feel that way uh, for Snoke um, and I think that he could have become such a big character in in, 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 in the rest of eight and obviously leading into nine um, and I, obviously we don't know how the story is going to progress into uh, episode nine but nevertheless I, I would have loved personally to have seen Snoke in it He's not 
and I think my issue isn't that what I thought Snoke was going to be. I thought it was the way the character was treated. Yes, and again, is is this just another case of well, um, Ryan Johnson wanted to kill Luke. He wanted to get rid of the the past with Luke, and he's then left with two strong dark side force users against Ray. So he had to then manipulate the story in such a way to get rid of Snoke as well. And that way, you've got two young characters to take the story forward in this new idea and a new world and a new universe and everybody needs to get over it and just move forwards and get with the times because it's now a young person's film. And I don't know if that was part of the agenda as well. It's funny. No, now you say that, when you think of the way the Empire Strikes Back, sorry, not Empire Strikes Back, when you look at the way Return of the Jedi starts, we see Yoda um, giving his kind of final two pennies worth of, of knowledge to uh, to Luke, who then obviously hands himself over to the Force. So to your point there, where you say around you had two dark side users against one light side, that's exactly what we had in Return of the Jedi. We had Emperor yes. and we had Vader taking on Luke. Now, I know Luke had the whole rebellion and, and, and whatnot, but so does Ray. You know, if you if you put them side by side, and this is another mirror image. She's got about eight people at the moment. <laughs> oh, she does now. Yeah, you're right. But um, you've got one light side user in in Ray taking on two dark side users in Kylo Ren and Snoke. That would have been a brilliant way to have gone into Episode Nine because nobody would know where the hell that was going to go. Um, and it also means that she is the underdog going into that. Exactly. Whereas at the moment, she can whoop Kylo Ren. She's done it repeatedly now. In a one-on-one fight, he doesn't stand a chance against her. Well, that, and so where's the underdog here? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, Ray clearly is, uh, from what we've seen, the way that she's had no training, she's had no uh, opening up of her should, mind. Should we move on to Ray now then? <laughs> well, this is a great segue, to be fair. So um, the way that she's had no training, the way she's had no... Uh, kind of what's the word I'm looking for like practice with the force other than what happens on Starkiller base and then manipulate a stormtrooper Um, we see that and yet I know at the end of Force Awakens Kylo Ren is is, he was wounded badly let's be honest anybody that can take a crossbow shot from Chewie (laughs) into the hip and still be standing and fighting is doing a good thing uh, you know, that that was an impressive stance for me. But then to then see what happened in uh, The Last Jedi, where she could, yeah, she can better him, in my opinion, uh, to your yeah. to your point as well, because it's, it just shows how strong she is in the Force. It doesn't show how weak Kylo Ren is, because I think he's equally strong. And, and that goes to the point of the movie, isn't it, that, you know, the light side has risen, so the darkness will fall when it will kind of meet in the middle. There has to be this equilibrium uh, of of false powers and false users, as it were, to make things equal. Um, but I genuinely think that if it came down to a one-on-one, I think Ray will take him down. Again? Yeah. She is, she is, she is stronger, which I haven't... I, I, okay, a lot... <laughs> going back to the butter fond boys, um, a lot of the comments I'm seeing have been directed towards people saying, well... Um, was, was it Mary Jane or something that, that was oh, that Mary Sue. used? Yeah, Mary, Mary Sue, that's Sue. it. Yeah. Um, used for right. I don't mind that she is powerful. 
I have no issue with that because Anakin, as a child, was powerful in the Force. So that's not an issue. My issue is the fact that she has control of that power with no or limited training. That That's where my issues are. So the fact that she can go toe-to-toe against Kylo, my... my my concerns around that are the fact that he has been trained by a Jedi and a Dark Force user in how to use the Force, in how to fight, in how to channel his aggression to to achieve his aims. Yeah. He's had both the light and the dark side training, and she still can beat him. I think the, the thing for me for this as well is that when you look at Rey, she has had, to your point, she's had no training with the Force. However, when we see her with that bow staff that she has, yeah. she's a really good fighter. She can handle herself. We saw that in, in The Force Awakens. We've seen it in The Last Jedi. Um, so I think for we her, did. she But that's taking on thugs. Yeah, but then again... It's, when not, you look take, at, it's not taking on elite Praetorian guards. Agree. However, if you think of the way that she takes on Luke... In the start of the force uh, of the last Jedi as well, you know they go hand to hand. She's got her um, her bow staff, and he snaps off so, like a stick, as it were, from like an aerial, yep. summons it with the force, and they go at it hand to hand. I think she is a as a warrior, uh, ignoring the force. I think as a warrior, she's a formidable opponent because of the way that she is, the way that we can see that. Um, yes, having the force just in my mind, only enhances that because she is this awesome warrior, but now all of a sudden she has these force powers that, you know, you <laughs> just clearly make you better at what you do. Um, and I think from, from that perspective, I think it's something that we need to consider as, as fans um, because calling her this Mary Sue uh, and, oh, my God, she's now got powers and she can beat Kylo, and it's more than that as well, you know. We see the Force being enlightened in, in other characters and they can do stuff with their mind. You know, it, it's brilliant that it was there. She clearly had Force powers as a youngster that have been suppressed. Again, we don't know yeah. why they've been suppressed and I, I'll come back to that in a moment. But I think, so from a warrior perspective, it, it doesn't, not that it doesn't, I, it doesn't really bother me that she can best Kylo Ren because there are elements to it that make sense. Um, one of the few, to be fair. I Okay, um... For, okay, for, for me in part, picking. Okay, she's trained to use this staff and she's done that over 20 years, let's say, while she's been um, out in the wilds on Jakku. I get that. She's trained to look after herself with a staff, which is a weighted item, balanced, it will have weight distributed across it. She's trained to use that weapon. She then picks up a lightsaber, which, other than its handle, has no mass. It's, it's light, it's energy. Mm. She's effectively holding a microphone or a microphone-sized object which has got no mass and she can swing it, she can position it in such a way that it can block and it can deflect and it can strike. That, for me, isn't... <laughs> I'm going to use the word realistic. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Star Wars here. Uh, 
but for me, that that his that isn't realistic. It's, it's almost like turning around to to someone and saying, "Right, okay, you can fight with a sword." Okay, yeah, it is exactly the same as that. If if you if you went back a few hundred years to to a, a more feudal time in in England, it used to take soldiers knights years to train to fight with a sword and years to train to fight with individual weapons you would find that knights would would specialize in different types of weapon some would be the great sword the two-handed sword some would be the bastard the one and the, the hand and a half sword some would use some would be better with a lance and jousting some would be better with an axe it's, it's because the, each of the knights trained with separate weapons and different weapons. They, they honed their skills over years and were capable of fighting with different weapons. If you gave them a completely unfamiliar weapon, they would have the rudimentary skills with that weapon, but against their master with that weapon, they wouldn't stand a chance. They'd be cut to pieces. And that's what we saw with, with uh, Ray. She was. She has a skill with a staff, but then she's been given this entirely brand new weapon, and within seconds, she's a master of it. I think this guy. That, that yeah. isn't right. No, yeah, I take your point. I think one thing that is clear: um, we know that she has got full. She's full sensitive. Um, yep. We know that she was abandoned on Jakku at some point. We don't know. Well, we saw the flashback, didn't we? So we can only assume that she is of the age of maybe six or seven, maybe maybe even five or six. Yeah. We don't we don't really know. Um, and again, you because know, we don't know, and you don't know what as stupid as it sounds, you don't know what you don't know. But no. she could have had lightsaber training as a kid, the way the Padawans do in the Jedi Academy. We saw. Well, that then doesn't work with the fact that she is the daughter of nobodies who abandoned her on Jakku because they were drunks. <laughs> and they were just looking for the next quick fix of alcohol. You, <laughs> you kind of stole my thunder. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Because <laughs> that's something that I really wanted to, to kind of come on to because, uh, listeners, if you if you tuned into the Jedi Council podcast number one, where we recorded this before The Last Jedi came out. Dave and I gave our theories uh, around who we thought Ray was going to be, or is. Dave, um, you were of the opinion that she, you thought she was going to be a, a Kenobi? Yeah. Um, I said that she was going to be a nobody. Um, and I was right. How, however, I, I, I don't know if I am right. So, we obviously see the way... Kylo Ren explains to her how he knows who she is and who her parents are. Okay, now we see that, uh, but it's in a situation where he's trying to manipulate her to join him, and I think that is a red herring. As much as I want to be right, um, I genuinely think that is a red herring because I think that she isn't a nobody. After seeing everything that we've seen. Uh, as much as I'd like her to continue to be a nobody, I really would because it's an interesting turn from a Star Wars perspective. Um, well, well, okay, you, you say that. I don't mind that she's a nobody. That isn't an issue for me. 
and and yes, it would have been nice if because we were all coming up with the idea of who she might be and what her background might be and, and what have you. And I did say, well, possibly she's going to be a Kenobi because I wanted some type of linkage into Luke and, and so on. But the the reality of it is, I'm not that bothered that she's a nobody. For me, that isn't an issue. It, it's more the fact that she, even as a nobody she still had some history of training for me. So she could have been a member of Luke's school and still have been a nobody. She could have been abandoned by drunken parents, but not on Jakku, but instead with Luke. And Luke has had begun mm. the training with her. I'm making up story here. I haven't got the foggiest. Um, and that, that's, it. That's, but, that's the important thing, isn't it? This is now becoming, again, we're being hypothetical about yes. what she still could be even though we've been given the answer that definitively says in the movie she is a nobody. I think, which again is an interesting point because we both came up with completely different ideas of who we believed her parentage was going to be, yet Mm -hmm. now we have the answer, we're still debating it, which I think is a really interesting thing. But is that because we don't think it was handled right? Absolutely. Yeah, the the -the off-the-cuff way Ray was told by Kylo Ren. Now, I, it was probably done without any thought of dramatic effect because it's a huge Oh, no, thing. according to Ryan Johnson on Ryan Johnson Explains, um, <laughs> there was there was thought behind this because on Ryan Johnson Explains, there was this suggestion that it would have greater impact, the fact that she was a nobody. Even though when you actually watch the movie, it's an off-the-cuff comment it, it basically does nothing to carry this movie forward or move it anywhere. You're right, it is completely pointless plot hook. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, it's I think it's another example of how he's taken the, the, the layers and groundwork that were put in at The Force Awakens and just gone, nah, let's see what else we can do. <laughs> um, yeah. And completely yeah. take out what could have been something epic uh, from the story, and again, to your point, it doesn't progress the movie at all. We see the scene of Ray going um, in the underground, where she goes to this mirror and she just sees herself, um, which has led to some really odd uh, theories that she's a clone, which made me laugh when I read that when I saw that. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Dave, but the theory yeah, that Ray's not. a clone, I'm thinking, nah, the clones have been done, so that doesn't really say why it can't be done again. But nevertheless. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so we see the point in her, but that's it. That we don't get anything else. It doesn't progress the story at all. No. If you go back to what we do know about the Jedi as well, and you, and we're talking about Jedi as opposed to Sith here, I guess. But from what we know of the Jedi anyway, from the Jedi Council and from what is canon, the Jedi do not procreate. So Jedi do not have Jedi children because the Jedi do not have mates to have children with. So every Jedi that has ever been in existence, other than Luke and Leia, for the last four or 5,000 years of, of canon, at least, has been born of normal parents, of I a think, non-Jedi parent. I think so the, only, the fact that, that she is a nobody doesn't matter. I, I think there's only there's only been one other exclusion to that rule. Um, I can't remember if it was Kit Fisto or Kiadi Mundi, one of the two. Oh, Kiani Mundi was allowed to marry because his species was dying out and he was a virile male and so the idea was he was allowed to have 
wives to procreate. Yeah, uh, ironically. Yeah, it was Kelly um, Monday. And none of his kids clearly were Jedi, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, well, they might have been, but they might have didn't well, they probably would have killed, killed the Jedi temple. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, it's an interesting theory there to your point where because there is the rules that they can't have children, they can't get married, etc., etc. Um, it does beg the question why it's such a big deal that she was a nobody. And, uh, yeah, and that's why it doesn't bother me because yeah. that, that is the background of every Jedi. She didn't need to have parentage of importance to become what she is. Yeah, she became but, in spite of it. Yes, but she still needed to have that training and that's the bit that's missing for me. It's, 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 oh, I'm trying to think of a, a, an analogy. It's, Okay, it's the equivalent of being given the most powerful supercar to drive. But if no one trains you how to drive it, you're not going to be able to get to the shops. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. No, I'll take your point. That's, yeah, interesting analogy. Um, unless you're Anakin you Skywalker. The power. Unless you're Anakin Skywalker that gets in a podcast. Uh, a podcast yeah. and a pod racer. Uh, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden becomes the best human to ever pilot a pod racer. But, yeah. but again, that's a lot of But But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the thing for me. It's, it, I haven't got an issue with a power. I haven't got an issue with no parent, with nobody parentage. I've got an issue with the fact that she must have had training somewhere. And, and I think no, I in The Force Awakens, we saw that force ability unlocked by Kylo Ren tinkering with her head to try and get the plans, yep. not the plans, the, the map of Luke. Yeah. Um, so he unlocks whatever the block has been that's yeah. been placed upon her since she was a child. Which, which you have to assume was done by a Force user. Yes. Yes. Possibly the Force user that had begun her education because all of a sudden she can use powers to influence Stormtrooper, uh, a First Order Stormtrooper, she can all of a sudden summon a lightsaber across a battlefield. Almost, it was almost Thor-esque there. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> 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 That's um, one of my favourite moments in the whole of The Force Awakens when she does that, but carry on, sorry. I love that, I love that. I had no issue with that. And, and that also, it, it, but it... Again, it was JJ Abrams for me was implying there is something extra to this person mm. before all of this happened. Well, yeah, that, and, that's true. Yeah, and you're that right, yeah. was was not carried on. It is, yeah, and, and again, I think that that's an interesting segue to kind of jump onto Carlo. Sorry, sorry. Well, I was just well, actually, well yeah. We, this links to Carlo as well, actually, because you also see. Ray in Massey's castle. So we're going again back to the Force Awakens because we we have to look at what's what's come before to see where the story is now. And, then, and again, maybe maybe it would have been good if Ryan Johnson had actually watched the Force Awakens before <laughs> doing the Last Jedi. But anyway, um, it was a case of she picked up the lightsaber for the first time in Mazzy's castle and she had a number of flashbacks and those yep. flashbacks included a number of different elements that were linked to the weapon. Yeah. So I get that. So there was the, the, the flashback to the empire strikes back, a traumatic moment in that lightsaber's history when both Luke and uh, Vader first met the two 
primary owners of that lightsaber when they first fought face to face when the disclosure of who vader was was made when luke lost his hand so there was a lot of trauma and a lot of emotion at that moment so that yeah. makes sense you also had the voice of both um obi-wan kenobi and yoda yeah why obviously linked to the lightsaber in some way because neither of those can be linked to Ray because she's a nobody, she's got no trading. Um, well, when you think Obi-Wan so Kenobi was in ownership of the lightsaber for a longer period yes. of time than both Anakin and Luke put together. He was, he was. So again, that, that makes sense that you potentially did hear um, Obi-Wan's voice. But then the final part of what you saw with the lightsaber was the scene of destruction associated with the Jedi school. Yeah. You see Kylo Ren with a red lightsaber, not a not a green lightsaber, which is what he had when he fought Luke. Yeah, true. Green? When he yeah, it was green so when he brings the the, the yeah. house down on top of him, yeah. Yes. So he actually had his red lightsaber with the the uh, flanges. Yeah. Um, you also had the Knights of Ren there alongside him. And all of them were gathered at the destruction of the Jedi school, which no. never happened, according to Ryan Johnson. You, I've, that's that. That's sorry. I've just had a light bulb moment there. Um, that hadn't occurred to me whatsoever. Um, I I completely but have, forgot. But where's where's yeah. that? But also, where's that memory come from? Because the lightsaber wasn't at the Jedi Academy. No. And Ray wasn't at the Jedi Academy, or at least that's what we've now been told. She's a nobody. She was left by drunk on Jakku. So where's that memory come from? How could Ray have that flashback? That's yeah, that that's kind of blown my mind a little bit there, to be honest with you. Um I think that that scene in The Force Awakens where we see and that's only it's what, maybe a minute, if that, of of diced footage of her memories and kind of messages from from Yoda and Obi Wan Kenobi coming through, but that that scene, yeah, you, you're bang on. It was it was raining. There was the Knights of Ren uh, again. Something that gets completely forgotten about in this movie, by the way. Uh, and we can yeah. kind of add to that to the uh, the list of forgotten characters. Um, but that, it's okay um, because in uh, Ryan Johnson explains he covers that. I've not seen that episode. What does he say about the Knights of Ren just while we're here? Um, they got they would have got in the way of the movie, so he didn't include them. And there, there was a suggestion that they may have been the Praetorian Guard, but if they were Kylo Ren's car- uh, um, personal Ren. army, yeah. then they wouldn't actually have attacked after the death of Snoke. So basically, Ryan Johnson didn't know what to do with them, so just completely ignored them. That, oh that's what God. I got from Ryan Johnson Explains. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that episode, funnily enough. Um, so it's good to know that he considered all the plot points that JJ had put into into The Force Awakens. Okay. Um, but jumping back to, to the Ray piece and, and, and that particular flashback and everything, you kind of pointing out the difference between the way that it was portrayed in the Force Awakens to what was perceived to have happened in in the Force uh, in in the in the Last Jedi. Um, they're completely different, and I had completely forgotten about that. So again, I think that just adds to me the the what on earth are you doing, Ryan, <laughs> with this yeah. movie point? Yeah, interesting. 
and, and, and again, it just, it, for me, just smacks of the idea that Ryan Johnson came in with no regard for the fact that he was picking up the second part of a trilogy. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier on, like Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One, he's butchered the rest of this film. But, um, he has. <laughs> but yes, I, he's, done, he's done a Vader on it. <laughs> if you said that to me, you might take that as a compliment. But um, Yeah, no, I think that might that, have been his plan. Well, I, I think that does tie nicely to, to the character development of, of Kylo Ren, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, which... You, you, I mean, you, you've, you've got you've got positives to say about this. I do, yeah. I do like the way that out out of the whole movie, he is the one character who I feel has has actually progressed, um, both from a acting perspective, and I'll come on to Adam Driver in a second. But from a character perspective as well, um, you know, we saw we do see elements of his uh, angry emo. I'm using air quotes for the benefit of this. <laughs> Um, I, I, I must admit, I really hated that description of him in The Force Awakens where, you know, he doesn't get his way, so he ignites his lightsaber and he starts tearing apart that uh, that computer, as it were, with his lightsaber yeah. and he and he has his temper tantrums and, you know... Somebody, I like that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I personally, I liked it. It's, he's somebody with a lot of power and he doesn't know how to really have it as an outlet, uh, which I, no. it's, it's, it's like a child, it, to be fair, he's like a child who, who can't speak, so they... They cry and they scream to get attention for what and they want. lash out. And, yeah, yes. it's 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 having the frustration that you've got this power, but you don't really know what to fully do with it. And the fact that he's like that shows that he is frustrated and that he is powerful enough to, to kind of realize that he needs to have more power. Um, and, and torn about how he controls himself. Yeah, absolutely. it's nice that it harks back to the Anakin and the fact that Anakin was also a torn confused, yeah. powerful, but didn't know how to channel these energies. Dare I call it petulant? Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, and, and I think that the way that that has been done for me, yeah, I, we touched on it in, in the last podcast where I said that um, he goes all Anakin when he's flying his TIE silencer. The way he yes. he, he manoeuvres the, the, the vehicle, the way that he takes stuff out. And I, I thought that was absolutely brilliant, but he is mimicking for want of a better phrase, uh, or mirroring is probably better, um, the Anakin Skywalker character in, in many ways because he is... The, the, the good and the bad bits. The good and the bad, yeah, because, you know, he's, he's also crushing, for want of a better phrase, on Ray. He clearly wants the two of them to be together. He mm. sees that they are stronger as a team than they are separate, which is very similar to Anakin and Padme. Now, I know Padme wasn't yes. a force user, but nevertheless. Um, he sees that um, she was an emotional crutch for him, which Ray also seems to be. Absolutely, and the fact that you know, at the end of at the end of Return of the uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, uh, he um, actually, when you think about it, Anakin Skywalker starts to hate Obi Wan Kenobi, who is his father figure, and we see mm-hmm. and we see Ben Solo or Kylo Ren hate start hating on Luke in this, and this is it's very similar, and that's the one thing that is apparent in. All eight Star Wars films, there are themes that are repetitive, and I think this is the one that The Last Jedi actually nails on the head. And it's probably the only one that, in my opinion, he gets bang on. There are questions with other elements of this film that Ryan Johnson's done, I mean, you know, we're covering those, but nevertheless, this is one part of this movie that I look at it and I think, okay, you know what, you've done Kylo Ren justice here, 
minus the shirt, the scene without his shirt on, but nevertheless. Um. Well, I've, 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 say, I've got a comment around that one, just just on the basis that this is meant to be a child's film. Well, For indeed. me, well, yeah, okay, it's yeah, a 13 yeah, in the US, it's a 12 yeah. in the UK. Um, but when you think of Star Wars as a as a moneymaker franchise for Disney, it's, a lot of it is geared towards children because that is where all the toys are sold. So there has to be an engagement with children and there has to be a story that works at a child's level, which is something that the prequels did miss because they over, over, made it overly politically complex at times. Yeah. And that was where sometimes they failed. And also the love scene between... Anakin and, and Padme was a little bit too old for the, the children. I've got young children, and they they get bored at that scene, and and they just want it to fast forward through. Dude, I'm 36, um, and I get bored in that scene. <laughs> well, well, yeah, um, but that, that might also be down to the bad actor. But anyway, oh, yeah, um, true, true. but but you've you've got in this movie, you've got these four sexting. I'll use that term again. Um, where on Ryan Johnson explains he was he was explaining that um, the idea was to try and create this connection on multiple layers between uh, Ren and Ray, and I get that, except it was too older material for a large part of the audience who would go to watch this. I would be uncomfortable trying to explain that to young children. Yeah. Especially when she says, oh, put your shirt on and, and that bit. And it's just, it was a little bit. I th- yeah, I think that, that that's another example of how, in my opinion, the, the humour kind of fails in this film. Because I think, doesn't she make a joke saying, can we do this another time or something like that? Um, yes, yes. When you're properly dressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah something like that. I'm like, well. Again, that's another example of it kind of falling flat on its face. It was one of those moments that I didn't laugh. I cringed. I was like, really? You're putting this into a child's film? Because to your point, this is supposed to be a a film to bring in in, in kids. You know, the Star Wars, let's be honest, I know we are mid-30s and 40-year-old men and we collect action figures for this particular film, but nevertheless, Star Wars was created by George Lucas as a child's film. It's supposed to be child-friendly. Um, yes. The end of <laughs> the end of Revenge of the Sith uh, clearly isn't um, because of the way Anakin gets well cremated, uh, basically. But nevertheless, there are scenes that do make it become a slightly more mature audience relative, um, and I think this was unnecessary. We didn't need to cut to him without a shirt on. All the other times that they did this, there was slightly more appropriate. There, I call it that. I'm not being yeah. approved, by the way. Um, I just again, neither might, but it was it was overly sexualizing that relationship. Uh, well, I just thought it was. I, I didn't see the point. It's but badly done as well. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's it's a pointless way to have this conversation because the 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 way that the power was kind of displayed was very good. You know, the way that Snoke clearly had got into their minds to connect them. I liked that, and as we touched on earlier, that's a great new false power, for want of a better phrase. But the way it was kind of shown by the directing and the and the actual kind of filming of this, I thought he, there was no need for him to be shot, to be topless. There, he, it really wasn't. There was no need for that. Um, no. And dare I say it, if it was the other way around, if we had to cut to Ray in just the oh, if we had to cut to yes. Ray in just the bra, for example, 
that would have kicked off a huge amount of fuss because yes. you know it's the, the shoes on the other foot, and I and I think that that needs to kind of get called out again because would Ryan Johnson have ever done that? Of course he wouldn't have done it, um, but because it was a dude, and then it's a little bit different. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's very strange to have that process in, in making that particular scene for me. That's that's a very good point. I never considered the 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 difference that it would have made had it been the other way around. Mm. That's that's a very good point. Um, whilst we're discussing this this forced sex thing, one thing that I am struggling with is the idea that Snow could manage to connect them with their minds. Okay, so why could they see each other as though there was a camera on them? If you're if you're in someone's mind and able to communicate with them in their mind, yeah, you wouldn't have an external view of them. So her seeing him topless wouldn't actually have happened, unless it was like a very similar way that Luke beams himself. Projected himself. Yeah, unless it's a way that that kind of power has been manipulated or, or changed, for want of a better phrase. Um, that's the only way that I can think about it because I think you're right. Yeah, it would be slightly more introvert, right? Uh, no, not introvert, the wrong word. Slightly more inward looking than outward looking. It would. It would. You, 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 they would be communicating. They wouldn't be able to see each other physically. They may be able to see what each of them could see and their surroundings. Yeah. But they wouldn't have been able to see each other. That's interesting, yeah. And again, another way that it's kind of been let down in how it was shot and thought about working. I mean, I'm sure Ryan Johnson explains will will come up with an idea around that one. Probably the fact that it was similar to the way that Luke projected himself. That there was a physical manifestation of themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that actually kind of makes sense. That that's probably the way that they. That Snoke managed to connect them in, in doing it that way, I suppose. But we don't know. No, exactly. Um, but I think that, that that kind of emphasizes the the way that Kylo Ren has become. Uh, and again, just quickly jumping back to his kind of character development. Yeah, well, yeah, cause that, yeah that's what we were discussing. Uh, Apologies. He no, well, it, it's all relative, isn't it? Really, st- it's still on Kylo Ren and the scenes around him and. You know, just because the director decides to shoot a scene with him without his jumper on or whatever that is, it's <laughs> it's not his fault. Yeah. Um, in the same way, you can't label the criticism of the script in the prequels for Hayden Christensen, even though he gets absolutely berated for it. Um, yeah. You know, but nevertheless, the script was that bad. But I think for for this particular film, we see Kylo Ren become. I don't want to call him the, the the Sith Master because he isn't really. I mean, he he's a he's a Knight of Ren. He yeah. isn't. He's not. Darth Kylo, uh, <laughs> you no. know, um, and but then again, Snoke wasn't a Sith either, which is interesting. He's just as far a, as we know. As far as we know, exactly. He's just a dark Force user, which is a an interesting concept that I thought could have been explained a hell of a lot more in more detail, but it obviously wasn't because um, <laughs> it didn't matter because it would have got in the way. Ryan Johnson explained this. It would have got in the way of the actual film yeah. and it would have slowed down the movie had we had a two second or a one minute explanation of where Snoke had come from. It would have slowed the story down because after all, 
we had this the longest, slowest space chase in history. We had the slowest bombing run in space battle history ever. You had a completely pointless side adventure to uh, uh, to Canto Bight, but spending a minute or so just explaining who Snoke was would have slowed the story down. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, thanks for Explaining that, that one for us. <laughs> Oh uh, no, it's it's yeah, it, it's another one that I think you, we kind of have to let go. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, we're not going to get the answers we're looking for because no. hey, it was too late. Clearly, um, um, he's dead. Yeah, Move he's on. gone. So uh, unless, well, that begs the question around Snoke, doesn't it? Is it will he come back as a false ghost? You know, um, or was he? Or did he even die? Well, it, it's funny you say that because there's this, the part of the film where it cuts to his arm or his upper half yeah. of the body and they see his arm after seeing the way Leia when she was doing her superwoman impression um, when, when we saw her hand move I must admit I had visions of his hand twitching thinking alright he's not actually going to be dead um, so you know is he really dead who knows I think Andy Serkis well, has actually come out recently and said about maybe being in number 9 so yeah. Who knows? Well, you, well, you've got Maul who survived being caught in half, and it was and his, falling down a massive lift shaft. Yeah, and it was his hatred that kept him alive. Um, yeah, you never know. It could be Snoke's and, hatred, and, and of, uh, Snoke, Snoke is more powerful than Maul was. Well, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I think the thing that might have actually been the dare I call it the final nail in his coffin is the fact that his ship got blown up by the the holdo maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but plenty of other people got off that ship. Absolutely. Uh, well, okay, I, I'm going to deviate. Funnily enough, um, so in the last in the last podcast, we had a discussion about the Holdo maneuver and how um, and how all of a sudden we're going to see examples of that become canon in the Star Wars universe. As we were discussing that, and I, do you watch the Star Wars show? I've I have done. I've not done recently. Okay, so in the recent episode of the Star Wars show, uh, I can't remember the, 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 the male host of the show, he had a t-shirt on that had the Holdo Maneuver on it. Now, if if that's now going to be known as canon, that it's known as the Holdo Maneuver... Then that implies she invented it. Yes. So I'm thinking, how are they actually going to fit that into canon as previous examples, if they're literally calling it the Holdo Maneuver? Because... Even if it was done a hundred years before, even if it was done the day before, it's not her manoeuvre, it's somebody else. So they can't call it the Holdo manoeuvre if that is the case. That is, that is a damn fine argument. Um, I, I, as I was watching it, I was watching the Star Wars show, and I, I saw the t-shirt and I thought, wait, hold on a minute. Or I should have said Holdo a minute. Uh, sorry. Holdo a minute, yes. <laughs> it's... Oh, and I we've all saw that at the same moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we both have really lame thoughts on comedy, yeah. uh, clearly. Uh, but, but better than Ryan Johnson. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, but nevertheless, I don't mean to digress, and I just had to lay that out there as an argument to why this is not going to work from a canon perspective, the Holdo manoeuvre. Um because it can't be called that. It'll have to be the Darth Revan manoeuvre or, yeah. or the Tarkin manoeuvre or somebody exactly. who has done it previously. Exactly. Um, so, therefore, 
a win for us haters uh, <laughs> in that respect. Uh, not that we're a hate, not that we're haters, obviously, guys. I'm only, I'm only messing around. Um, but back to Kylo Ren. Vaguely dislike bits of the movie. Yeah. Um, oh, sitting on the fence? No, we're not even sitting on the fence, but nevertheless, um, back to Kylo Ren. <laughs> yes. He, 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 yeah, we, we both agree that his character development was absolutely fantastic. I thought, yes, it was. Um, it was. Dryer and then. I enjoyed how he became more angry towards the end. Yeah, he became more dark, dare I call it that. Um, yes. You know, he, he he killed his father at the end of Force Awakens, which should have really sent him over the edge. Uh, but then it was the killing of Snoke, Ray betraying him, in, in probably in his mind, um, that has actually pushed him over the edge even more. Uh, so it's going to be yep. interesting to see what kind of Kylo Ren we get in Episode Nine. I, for one, hope we get a Kylo Ren where he puts his mask back on. Um, not because Adam Driver is horrible to look at, but because when he wears the mask, he looks so damn cool. <laughs> well, you see, that, that was another Ryan Johnson that I want to get rid of the mask. I want to get rid of the, the history and the background that had been yeah. established by J.J. Abrams. He wore a mask. Take off that ridiculous mask. Yeah. Exactly. His grandfather wore a mask. He wants to be like him. That's why he's wearing a mask. It's not because of anything else. It's not because it offers him any breathing support the way it did for Darth Vader. It's because he wants to emulate Darth Vader. Yes. Um, And it's it's interesting that Snoke turned around and said to him, oh, no, get rid of it. You look like a child or something, wasn't it? Uh, That was the throwaway comment. Again, another way that Snoke... I don't know. I actually think Snoke at one point probably said to him, you need to emulate Darth Vader, so try to be like him, which is why he probably thought, oh, I'm going to wear a mask. Um, and wear black. Yeah, exactly. And wear head-to-toe black and have, also, well, the red lightsaber is, is Sith, but again, he isn't Sith, so therefore maybe you shouldn't have a red lightsaber. Who knows? Yes. Where did he get the red kyber crystal from? Because from I've, I read the... Um, the Vader graphic novel, which shows the early Vader when he is first um, unveiled in his new armor. Um, and I, I, to be fair, that a comic book, I need to do that as a, a, an actual review, a written up review for our website. So it's a phenomenal comic book story. I love it. Yeah. And it shows how Vader goes hunting for a lightsaber crystal to, to, to um, power his own lightsaber. And he's given guidance by Palpatine that he has to kill a Jedi and take his lightsaber um, and then corrupt that lightsaber by pouring all his hate and his anger into that lightsaber, into that kyber crystal and and making, breaking the the kyber crystal so it becomes a red kyber crystal. So... Yeah. Well, maybe... Because obviously... Where? Where has he got it from? Well, we see that he... Um, he has a lightsaber. He try, yeah. he defends himself against Luke in that particular he scene. Does. It could be the kyber crystal that he has in his own lightsaber that he just corrupts potentially. Could be, but that's, again, that's true. Yeah, it's just another plot point that kind of needs to it well is ignored. Let's be honest. Um, so again, another thing for Ryan Johnson to take away his homework. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a Ryan Johnson explains at some point about. Oh, it. most definitely. I mean, the film only came out at the back end of December, and we're only in the sixth of February. So, therefore, you know, I'm sure there'll be many more uh, episodes of that particular. With, with, show. With, there's at least one episode. To be honest, Ryan Johnson, 
I think you should do more of them because I'm loving them. I'm really enjoying the, the weekly updates of, of the things that I was too stupid to, to recognise yeah, absolutely, in, yeah. the, in the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying them. Thank you. I might actually at mention Ryan Johnson when we put this podcast on Twitter. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be interesting to see if he has a listen. Um, I think, oh, we won't. Yeah. He won't. He doesn't, he's not interested. Yeah, true. No, he's, I, he's made his money. He's made a fortune out of this movie. He's had his um, back patted by the, the critics, and he's been given a trilogy to, to destroy further. Absolutely. So he's not interested in criticism. And I, I think that's a nice way that we've kind of wrapped up some of those characters that we haven't, uh, that we, we needed to talk about. Um, there's a few more, I think, that we need to kind of jump into quite quickly. Um, yes. One of them being Captain Phasma. Yes. Um, what on earth? <laughs> so we saw the end of The Force Awakens where she is thrown into a trash compactor. Great callback, by the way, JJ. Wonderful stuff. Um, and we know that before the film came out, we know that she was going to be in it, so therefore we knew that she survived. There was the, the comic book series by Marvel which depicted how she actually escaped and then uh, another story about about her. Um, and then, of course, there was the Phasma book that came out prior to the film as well. So there's all this massive build-up on who Captain Phasma is. Um, which we don't have for anybody else. Including Snoke. Um, <laughs> and Ray and, well, and Ray yeah of course um, yet we get to the the, the the Last Jedi she's in it for a mere 10-15 minutes at best and she gets bested by yeah. Finn I know that there was the uh, the way that the floor kind of came apart and she fell into it and whatnot. Um, but Finn bested her and this is supposed to be the the bad stormtrooper leading the stormtroopers, you know, a formidable warrior getting taken down Finn, by a graduate. Finn was meant to be top of his class, though. Yeah, but a graduate, let's be honest, it would be like somebody joining Microsoft as a new joiner, as a newbie, turning around to Bill Gates and saying, sorry, mate, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it, I'm sure they do. But. Well, yeah, well, possibly, yeah. But nevertheless, it's it's an example of, again of I don't know. Phasma has been built up to be this character that we don't actually see her being. Uh, again, I know in the Force Awakens there was a lot of uh, kind of hype about who she is and the silver armor being the difference between her and the stormtroopers and whatnot, um, and then. I, you know, the way that The Force Awakens ended, I, I knew that she'd be back. But now, do we assume that she's dead? Well, okay, well, to go back to this idea that Finn beat her, if you, okay, if we go back again to The Force Awakens, you had Finn twice pick up a lightsaber. So Finn has had proper combat training with energy weapons, because he would have had close combat training to use the, the riot maul that the tra- uh, trooper that shows traitor yep. to him. Yep. So he's had training with that type of equipment. He's had training with energy weapons. Um, and he picks up a lightsaber twice. And in both times, he gets whooped both by 
the stormtrooper that calls him traitor, and by Kylo Ren, who's been shot by Chewie. Yeah. And yet, he picks up a weapon this time, and with no problem whatsoever, can take down Phasma. Yeah. Yeah, again, you have to start questioning why that's happened, how that's happened. Uh... <laughs> and, 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 but but that's, that's more plausible for me because he has had proper energy weapon training. It's the fact that he's failed twice before is the, is the problem with this. But he has actually had energy weapon training, yeah. whereas you've got Ray with no training whatsoever who is then able to beat people who have extensive training. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you got, that's a really good point. And, you know, we know that from the um, the journey to The Force Awakens, there's the story about Finn. He is top of his class uh, in the in the uh, Imperial Academy, or First Order Academy, I should say. Um, it, we know that he is he's seen as one of being like this star. Um, but obviously his first battle being uh, the battle on... I can't Jakku. It was Jakku, wasn't it? Thank you, yeah. His landing on Jakku was his first proper mission, um, and that kind of changed him forever, as it were. Um, so we know that there's that history of, of ability and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, no, that's that's a very fair point, actually. I think that's, that's interesting that, you know, he is now able to best Captain Phasma. Nah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm still dubious about that, but nevertheless... Um, it, it's slightly more plausible, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that only works if... Well, it, doesn't, uh, it only works if it undermines why Ray is good. You, you can't yeah. have both. Yeah. You can't have someone with no training whatsoever better than someone who has training, and then you flip it on its head and it becomes completely the opposite way around. Yeah, but again... This story has got so many variations on how things have been done in the past and how they are here that you never yeah. know with his way of creating a movie. So uh, it's just another one of those head shakes we're going to have to go with. That's a shame, really. <laughs> um, yeah. However, I, I'd like to think she's not dead. Jumping back to Phasma. Um, yes. I really would hope that she isn't. I'd like to see her in episode nine just to have some better scenes, you know. Um you can imagine her having the the scar on her face. Obviously, the, her her mask helmet mm. even uh, was ripped, for want of a better phrase. Yep, when she uh, falls into flames. Before she falls in, so there's just going to be the scar on the face. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Uh, whether or not that happens or not, who knows? It's possible. So I think while we've kind of touched on Finn. Um, there's there's a, there's one more thing in particular I, I want to kind of walk through is the dynamic with Finn, Rose, and their trip to Canto Bight. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, listeners, you can probably tell from the chuckling on our voice that we aren't really fans of this particular part of the film. Um, not that we're overly complimentary on other parts, but nevertheless, this is... Canto Bight, for me, just doesn't work. From oh, from start to finish, right. it just doesn't work. There is only oh. one thing in this that does, um, and it's a very small thing, so I'm quickly going to say it, and then we'll jump into why we don't think it works. But the thing that works for me is Finn. His reaction to going to Canto Bight is priceless. 
a lot of people have said they don't understand why he reacted like this, but let's put this into context. He is a stormtrooper who left the Imperial, uh, who left the First Order merely a few days ago, let's be honest. His experience was then going to Starkiller Base, where he got taken out by Kylo Ren, who's been in a Bacta tank, uh, or a recovery chamber, or whatever it's called. His exposure to anything other than that has been null. Yet he is then thrust into a world of wealth, gambling, oh. drinking, <laughs> and his reaction was, oh my God, this is awesome. And yeah. that's the one thing that I can take away from this scene and think, yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's like the first time I went to Las Vegas, I'm walking around with this look on my face of, <laughs> oh my God, what have I walked into? And that's even before I hit the best casinos, you know. Um, so that's the one thing from this particular scene that I thought was done well. However, there are bits and pieces of it that were done not so well. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 a massive thing for me was, oh, okay, I'm going to phrase this quite emotionally. The, 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 for me, there was a massive betrayal of what we've been promised with Canterbite. Um, in 2013, um, you, Alex, and myself, we, we went to Celebration Europe mm -hmm. in Essen in Germany. We were? which was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um, but whilst we were there, um, Kathleen Kennedy, um, CEO of Lucasfilm, um, or newly appointed CEO of uh, Lucasfilm at that time, um, was on stage with Warwick Davis. Mm -hmm. And she gave a very, very good interview where she was discussing the fact that uh, there will be a new trilogy being released. We didn't know what it was going to be at the time. It was excitement and heady days that Star Wars was going to go forwards. And one of the promises that she made to the fans on stage in front of thousands of people that was that was also then televised, it was on YouTube and, and what have you, um, has been broken. Um, she, she stated that they understood a lot of the backlash that came out of the prequels. T to be honest, I, I'm not a hater of the prequels. There are elements of them which were not as strong as, as the, the original trilogy, but then there were there were new ideas that came into it with the right type of nostalgia, so so it worked. So the movies the movies are still mm -hmm. they they are Star Wars. Um, but one one of the things that she said was that a lot of the feedback that that the Lucasfilm executives had taken on board from the fans was the fact that CGI was too heavily used in the prequels. Yeah. And there was too much of CGI to get around live action. And there was too much CGI to that, that got in the way of the movie and was used in lieu of a good story. And she, she admitted to that on stage. And so she said to everybody that was there, to the fans, that they'd learned from that and the new films that would be being made would have stronger stories, would not be reliant upon CGI's to build up atmosphere and to build up what you saw on screen because there would be more real live action. There would be less green screening. 
And we saw that in Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, again, it had that original nostalgia of the original movies because it felt gritty, it felt lived in, it felt real. But then you saw Canto Bay and and we were betrayed by Kathleen Kennedy there. Yeah. Or by Ryan Johnson. That think, was a stupid CGI fest. Yeah, and I think... For CGI sake. Ab- absolutely, mate. And I think just before uh, I, I get into kind of my thoughts here, this, we know that in The Force Awakens there was CGI. appreciate that. However, it was about 10% of the movie, whereas 90% was kind of the puppets yeah. in real life. Whereas this particular yeah. scene... Now, the Canto Bite scene all in all lasts about oh, roughly 20, 25 minutes, give or take. Um <laughs> And I would say 90% of that is CGI, and it's horrible CGI as well. It doesn't look very good, in my opinion. The CGI was done better in the prequels, dare I say it. Um, Ooh. <laughs> and yeah, no, I, you know, it was, it just really didn't sit well for me. The whole scene, the concept of the idea of them going there to find this hacker. Uh, we touched on this last week that, again, it was a weird thing to, to, to be done. You know, they had. A period of a few hours to basically get to the other side of the galaxy, find this hacker to take him all the way back uh, to take down this this uh, the Star Destroyer. Um, so that, from a story perspective, doesn't make sense. To then couple that with a badly done CGI city um, where yeah. horse racing, <laughs> for want of a better word, well, was um, lion racing almost, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was a poor mechanism to move the story along in my opinion and it was a really bad way to shoehorn in the character of dj uh grillian de toro um no yeah, yeah it was grillian de toro, wasn't it yeah it was yeah. a bad way to shoehorn in that um like marvel and to go- try and build this relationship between rose and finn yeah and it like some other things in this movie like the comedy for example it felt forced it felt as if it wasn't natural. It wasn't organically growing as a, as, a, as a relationship. It seemed very quick. Now, it's a movie. We know that there are going to be scenes where things are going to be happening relatively quick, and I, I appreciate that. But nevertheless, um, it, 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 nothing felt right about this other than that the reaction of, of, of Finn, the what I just touched on. And to be honest with you, the music that was being played in the background of that kind of cantina scene, again, I'm using air quotes, guys, yes. Um, but they're the only things for me that felt right about this scene. It just didn't work at all. Even the the, the comedic elements with BB-8, like um, there was that that short kind of alien and the and the, the, the the prison cell bit where he he makes all the guards fall over. Yeah, where he shoots them with the coins. You know, yes. like this, this where the, the the short alien has been feeding him the coins, thinking he's a, a slot machine. Yes, um, yes, sorry, yes. And then all of a sudden, he fires them out to knock all these guys out. I'm thinking, even that for me didn't feel. You know, with when you look at things that Arthur has done in the past, he has shocked and electrocuted people. I think even BB-8 has done that as well. Um, you know, we saw BB-8 in in the Force Awakens give Finn like that thumbs up with his flame. Mm. Uh, again, really cool. But some of the stuff that with BB-8, I'm kind of deviating into the BB-8 character in a bit more here, but there's the scene where they're flying the ship and BB-8 has to plug a socket with his um, 
finger, for want of a better word. It's not a finger. Um, like it, and then all of a sudden, on the other circuit board, something else goes bang, and its finger, all of the, the the thing splits. And yet, by the end of that particular scene, we've got like twenty different, twenty twenty five different sockets being plugged by BB eight. And I'm thinking, how many attachments has this guy got to then, yes. you know, to then all of a sudden we go to the Canto Bite scene where he's all of a sudden pinging out these uh, gold coins <laughs> like a machine gun. And I'm thinking, this this is getting ludicrous now. Um, the Canto Bite scene just for me took me out of the film completely. On second time viewing, again, it took me completely out. Uh, of the film uh, and for me it was just something that let it down even further um, plus that was kind of shoehorned into the bit where the, the slowest spaceship chase on earth yeah. has ever been done so yeah it was a, that's a no-no from me yeah yeah and, and the only thing I'm thinking it, it was deliberate to try and foster this idea that Rose and Finn connect and even though it seems to be one side and it's just Rose that connects with Finn, um, because from what, we, what we'd what we seen previously, and again, this, 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 I'm going back again to the fact that in The Force Awakens, you almost had that connection instead between Finn had a crush on Ray and he's prepared to almost, to, to, to put himself in harm's way, which is, which is against where he is originally. He wants to try and escape harm, but he's prepared to put himself in harm's way to rescue Ray, so he has a major crush on Ray, mm. and that 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 is built up within the Force Awakens, and in some ways that inspires why he is looking to try and escape from the Rebel cruiser because he knows that Ray is going to come back to what he what he's looking after. She's she's going to hone in on that, so he wants to escape with that. So that Ray doesn't come back into a, into the middle of, of a trap, and that's the way he phrases it. It, it, it: is a trap. So for me, he has a crush, or more than a crush, maybe on Ray, which has already been built up and, and already started to develop. For now, to thrust in Rose, why? I think just just quickly going on to that one. When you look at the way that the movie starts. He wakes up from his sick bed, goes to find Poe, and the first thing he turns around and says to Poe is, where's Ray? Yeah. Which then cuts, obviously, to the scene on, on Act 2. Um, so even at the start of The Last Jedi, we see his affection, his caring nature towards Ray front and centre, yet yeah. completely then disregarded. Which I feel is is a bit of a letdown. Um, don't get me wrong; I've got nothing wrong against the Rose character. I think you know her her character is actually pretty cool, uh, and the way that she then uses the death of her sister to kind of move her forward to to do things within the movie, I think is great. Yeah. Um, but it's that underlying start of a relationship building between um, Ray and Finn, and then even at the end of the movie, I mean, Ray ends up kind of giving flirty eyes to Poe and I'm like they've just completely made Finn and Ray go in completely opposite directions yes yeah yeah that, that yeah. for me was a bit of a letdown um, the whole so the Canto bite scene 
um, you know, the Ray, the Finn, Ray, Finn, Rose, Poe, Love, Square. <laughs> it's not a triangle. Well, it's, um, it's, it's Kylo Ren in there somewhere as well. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Although she turned him down, to be fair, so... Uh, and she has now. Well, but... yeah, she has now, you're right. It's it's an interesting... Um, it's, yeah, I don't know the way things are going to go, but nevertheless, it's going to be something that is going to be an interesting scene and things to have been done um, in, in episode nine, and hopefully they can progress all of this going forward as well. JJ Abrams has gone absolute... Oh... If he manages to he's turn got, this round, he's got a house fire. Yeah, if he can turn this round the way I hope he does, he's going to be an absolute legend um, to to a lot return of Star Wars. Return of the Jedi. Fans. Well, return of the JJ. Yeah. So, listeners, you know we've covered a huge amount of topics, and we've been going again for another hour and thirty-five hour minutes today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel. <laughs> I think we've covered this in a lot of detail, Dave. What do you think? Well, on the basis that it's longer than the movie is, I would probably say yes. One thing that we've not actually discussed, which has come out, I'm fairly certain we didn't cover it in the last one, but it's come out as one of the um, um, Ryan Johnson Explains, um, is the fact of Han's funeral, or lack of one. Oh uh, yeah, no, yeah, we did touch on this in the last one, how it's going to be in the novelisation. Yes. Yeah. And, Again, it's it's just this idea that anything he didn't want to include, he just completely discounted rather than even playing lip service to it. Yeah. It's a massive disservice to... I mean, the fa- if they'd have just gone the into... If they'd have just gone into episode eight, um, not even consider or didn't even say that Han's funeral was going to be in... Uh, the novelization of, of episode eight, if they had just completely not even gone there, I would have been happier because you've now got an element where, as we started on, as we started talking about the solo film, you've got this beloved character who has been not disregarded. That's the wrong word, but he has been neglected in, in appreciation and basically just said, well, he had a funeral, but we're not going to show it. Oh, it's in a book. Um, Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was almost, it doesn't matter. It doesn't progress the story. You know, you can imagine that being on a JJ Explains show. Uh, JJ, sorry. uh, Ryan Edwards Explains. Yeah, sorry. Well, that was was his excuse. The the Ryan Johnson Explains was the fact that it didn't progress the story. And we've we've seen this before in previous stories where Luke gets over the death of of Obi-Wan Kenobi after two minutes of mourning. The, the difference is there that Luke had only known Obi-Wan Kenobi for a matter of days. He'd bonded with him, yes, and he'd started to he'd begin his training as a Jedi under him, but he'd known him for days. You've got Chewie, you've got Leia who was married to him and had a kid with him. Yeah. You, you have his friends who would be parts of the... Um, the, the rebellion such as Admiral Atbar, you have old comrades, lifelong friends. I'm sorry, but they wouldn't have the two minutes of grief that Luke shows for Obi-Wan. They would have proper outpourings of grief yeah. because he was a major part of all of their lives, as he was ours. And for 
for Ryan Johnson to just dismiss it with, oh well, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't help me with. It, it wasn't part of my story. Yeah, yeah. Well, that shows agree. how little regard he has for the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, clearly it's more interesting in telling his own version rather than incorporating a lot of other stuff that come before it. Yeah. yeah. And it's that lack of respect, lack mm. of respect of what had gone before. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that, to be honest with you, I think that's an incredibly good way to kind of wrap up our discussion um, on The Last Jedi. We have been, to your, to your comment earlier, we've been talking about this film longer than the film Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, listeners, I think you can tell by Dave and I's comments over the last three hours that you've listened to us talk about this film, give or take, that, you know, there are things that we do like. Let, 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 let's set the record straight. There are things we do like. Um, however, the overwhelming feeling of being let down, I think, is a good way to perceive how we feel about this film. Um, while, yes, it isn't the film we've probably expected that, that that didn't take away why we believe it's a bad film. Um, there are elements of the no. film which don't make yeah. sense. There are theories, concepts, story plots that have been completely ignored from The Force Awakens, uh, which don't make any sense from a storytelling point of view. Um, and it, it's one of these films that will continue to divide the fan base. Um, you know, like I touched at the start of the podcast, we are two months into the showing and, and the life of this movie. We've got the DVD release coming out in, in kind of March, April time. Uh, we've then got, I'm assuming, there'll be more special editions. And apparently on one of the Blu-rays, there's a two-hour bonus feature this. So again, if you've got two hours of extra footage, God knows what's going to be in there. Um, but nevertheless, there's a lot of stuff that's going to still continue to come out about this movie. Uh, and I think that we, are, we as fans will continue to debate them uh, ongoing. Um, and I think that it's, it's going to be an interesting topic to discuss for the foreseeable future, the way that the prequels are 20 years old this year, Phantom Menace, and yet we still... Oh. Yeah, exactly. We still talk about the way it divides the fans 20 years down the road. In 20 years down the line, will we be talking about The Last Jedi still like we are today? More than likely. Hopefully it'll have been struck off and it's no longer coming. And I'm nearly going to be 60 when we start doing that. <laughs> oh, I'll be over 60. Thanks. Oh. Oh. So, guys, um, Dave, as always, mate, it's been brilliant talking to you uh, about and this. You. Any closing thoughts? Over to you. Oh, um, this... The Last Jedi was missed opportunities, poor storytelling, and a general vandalising of what we knew from Star Wars. For me. For me. And I get that. That is me. Um, I will still love Star Wars. I do still love Star Wars. I am so hyped around the Han Solo movie, and we would need to discuss that separately. Um, I am looking forward to episode nine because I'm hoping that J.J. Abrams turns around the crock of hoodoo that we've been left with. (laughs) Great reference Um, to the prequels there, Dave. Wonderful stuff. Thank you. Um, 
so yeah yeah disappointed is is where i come out of this but hopeful in in the words of, of princess leia we have hope that is a great way to wrap up um <clears throat> and like, like you you know like i said earlier i do feel kind of let down by this uh, particular film and you know, we will continue to debate it. I'm sure there will be elements that will crop up in conversation in due course. But, uh, you know, guys, we are the last Jedi. No, we're not. We are the Jedi Council. <laughs> um, we are a a website. We are a Twitter feed of Star Wars fans trying to get stuff out there to you all to voice our opinions. We want your opinions and everything that we've discussed. Uh, you know, we know that the, the film divides the fan base. We want to be part of that conversation. We want to be actively involved. We are at www.the-jedi-council.com uh, I got that wrong in the last podcast and made sure I got it right today. Um, <laughs> or we are on Twitter. We are at the Jedi underscore council. On Instagram, we are at the Jedi underscore council underscore TJC uh, as well. Hit us up on any of those particular um uh, social media pages listen to us on the podcast this will be available is available on soundcloud and will be available on itunes like and subscribe to everything that we do leave us some comments on the itunes it's always good to get feedback give us five stars though uh we want the positive <laughs> reviews <laughs> no pressure guys no pressure at all even if you don't like what we're saying <laughs> hopefully you'll like the fact that we're prepared to debate it and we're passionate about this. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, we are the Jedi Council, guys. Thank you very much for taking your time uh, to listen to us today. Dave, final words? Good night. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back on the airwaves shortly to discuss other good things uh, and may the Force be with you. Remember the Force.